Will you join me for a time of prayer? God, we are grateful to join our hearts, first and foremost, in the acknowledgement of your goodness. That we rest in that truth. That we can stand firm on that promise. That no matter what, you are good to us. Father, around us and among us, there is so much pain and suffering. Some that we know, some that we don't. We come before you praying on behalf of those who are enduring pain, that are experiencing suffering right now. We ask for your presence, for your comfort, for your strength, for your goodness, for your mercy. We lift up those around the world who suffering is a daily experience for them. And we pray that in the midst of that, they will see your truth, they will see your power, and that will give them courage to withstand each day. God, I thank you for this season, a season that calls us to slow down and to not rush towards Easter Sunday, but to sit for a while in the darkness, to linger a little bit in the hard places, and to find that you're there. We pray that you'll bless this time together this morning, this worship service, our Bible study times, our interactions with one another, that you will strengthen us as the church to proclaim your goodness and to go out and to be a part of your kingdom work. We ask this in your name. Amen. Our texts this morning come from Old Testament and New Testament. We're going to read a portion from Job, chapter 1, and then also from 1 Peter. And so if you're able, will you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read Job, chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. One day, when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the donkeys were feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell on them and carried them off, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three columns and made a raid on the camels and carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came across the desert, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. And then Job rose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. And from 1 Peter, chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. 
But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, a criminal, or even as a mischief maker. Yet, if any of you suffers as a Christian, do not consider it a disgrace, but glorify God because you bear this name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the end for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And... If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinners? Therefore, let those suffering in accordance with God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while continuing to do good. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. I hate the dark. I mean, I know we're not supposed to hate but I strongly dislike the dark. I'm not the biggest fan of the dark. I mean, I've never really liked the dark. can't think of a time when I have, except maybe when I was trying to see the stars at night or if it comes in the form of chocolate, and then I'm a fan. (laughs) Come inside now, it's getting dark, something our mothers and fathers would yell out to us from the back door Something that we were disappointed to hear because we were never ready to come inside. But darkness was coming in like an ominous thick fog. And it seemed like danger was lurking on the edges, waiting for its turn. The only shelter after the sun was absent was found in the comforting glow of the inside lights. The 60-watt bulbs and the lamps and the glow of the television until bedtime, when my parents would prepare the home for night, and the light, like the sun, left me. Thank you, Jesus, for night lights. In the dark, we imagine the worst. In the dark, the monsters seem real, even though they're not. In the dark, we feel really vulnerable and exposed to that which we cannot see. And in the dark, we feel very, very much alone. The longer I have lived, the more I have come to appreciate the darkness. I'm still not a big fan of it. But I have learned that when the lights have gone out in my life, literally and figuratively, I've not died. In fact, there's been a lot that I've learned in the darkness that I never would have learned in the light. And so I've come to believe that maybe I need the darkness just as much as I need the light. You know, during times of darkness, people often seek out the church for help. But often the church is preoccupied with creating artificial light to create the darkness, keep it at bay. And most of us can tell the difference between natural light and artificial light. We aren't fooled. So what if we could sit together for a while in the darkness. What if we can resist filling this place with a fluorescent glare of easy answers and cliches? That's our intent with this new series we're beginning, The Absence of God. 
to sit with the hard questions, to befriend the dark, to listen and find meaning in the silence, and trust God to be enough. Lent is the perfect season to do this. We began the season this week on Ash Wednesday with a powerful message from Paul Maziza, who preached about persevering in the darkness. And if you missed that sermon, I encourage you to go to our website and listen to it. It was amazing, and an amazing beginning to Lent. Lent is a liturgical season where we are asked to enter the wilderness from which God has apparently fled, where things don't work out so well, where there are happy endings to movies and stories, where the suffering seems to wind and the silence of God is deafening. As someone once said, there are no Hallmark cards for Ash Wednesday. Our attention during Lent turns to those whose hopes have been hammered, to those whose hopes have been ripped from their hearts, to those who face the dawn with fear and face dusk with resignation. People like Job. The first chapter of Job describes him as a man honest inside and out, a man of his word who was totally devoted to God and hated evil with a passion. It tells us he was a dad who got up every morning to offer a sacrifice on behalf of his children just in case they had sinned the night before while partying. So this man above reproach, this husband fully devoted to God, this daddy who loved his children sacrificially has the worst day ever. He, he experiences wave after wave of heart-crushing news. The scripture says that three times while he was still speaking. So like the first round of news about the sheep and the donkeys and the oxen being uh, killed by the Sabines wasn't enough. That while that messenger was still relaying the bad news, yet another one comes and says, Job, a fiery, fiery presence came and killed off your sheep and your servants. And while that guy is still talking, yet another messenger comes and says, Job, the Chaldeans have come and they've taken your camels and they've killed your servants. And while he was still talking and the room was filled with wailing and disbelief, the last one comes with the final blow. Job, a great wind came and took the lives of all seven of your children. These children that you prayed for every morning, these children that you gave the best sacrifice every every dawn, they're now gone. The unrelenting wave of suffering pounded Job over and over again. And drowning in a sea of pain, he could barely catch his breath. Suffering sometimes seems to know no end. We have a saying about things coming in threes. But many of you could attest, and countless people around the world could testify to the fact that suffering apparently is horrible at math. And cannot count. Because it is long past three. And it's still going on for so many people. The question, if God is so good, why is there evil or suffering in the world? Is a very common question or doubt. Probably the number one expressed among believers and unbelievers alike. 
If God is so good, why is there suffering in the world? If God is so powerful, couldn't he just eliminate suffering? If God is so loving and merciful, wouldn't he just eliminate suffering? So, is it that he can't or that he won't? This question, this doubt, has plagued us for thousands of years. And if there were an easy answer to it, it wouldn't be the most expressed doubt or question still today. I mean, it would be one thing if God didn't alleviate the suffering of those who don't believe or those who have pledged their devotion to evil or pain. But even the most righteous among us, people like Job, experience great suffering. Every day we hear news of pain. We wake up to a feed on our phone of breaking news that talks about suffering and unimaginable pain around the world. And then we come here to church and we we hear about a loving God. We sing songs about a good, good father who has a plan for us. And it doesn't seem to match up for a lot of people. Like when your parents would say, um, and they'd have to punish you for something and say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. No, no, I don't think so. When I was little and I called my sister that bad name and I got a spanking, I think it hurt me more than it hurt my mom and dad. But the older I've gotten and the wiser I've gotten, I've learned that they were being honest for the most part. You know, now that I've had to uh, discipline with words my niece and nephew, they weren't the only one that ended up in tears at the end. It's hard. It hurts. It's really important for me to stop here and to share with you a concern that I have. My fear is that I'm going to say something this morning, or you're going to hear something this morning, That'll make your personal experience with suffering or pain seem trite. That's the very last thing. That I would want you to hear. I know some of the stories in this room. You have experienced great suffering and pain. I can't even begin to imagine. And I know there's a lot of stories that haven't even been told and that pain still sits in dark places. I'm hoping this morning that you'll understand my heart and that together we will trust God with our suffering. Nothing I say today will give you an emotionally satisfying answer to the question of pain and suffering. There is no answer that will make it okay because the image of God resides in us and will not allow us to be happy or satisfied with pain and suffering. The phrase, stuff happens, is probably most accurate. Stuff happens. Things break. People hurt. Good is not triumphed over evil yet. The natural world is full of chaos and disorder. It rains on the just and unjust alike. We are imperfect people in an imperfect world on an imperfect planet. Imperfect people in an imperfect world on an imperfect planet. So suffering has happened and suffering will continue to happen. 
I don't watch the Disney Channel very much. But when my niece and nephew are around, sometimes I see it. And one time we were on vacation, and um, we were chilling before going to the pool, and the Disney original movie Descendants came on. And my niece was really into it, so I stayed behind to watch in solidarity, of course. Um, But kind of really got into the story. So I'm here to confess this morning that I've seen the movie four to five times, and only two of those was with my niece. The movie is about the sons and daughters of the famous and infamous Disney characters. So Beauty and the Beast's son, Ben, is the main good guy, and Maleficent's daughter, Mal, is the main bad girl. And to try and give you a synopsis of the whole movie, uh, it's not really possible, but at one point, Mal makes a secret love potion to give to Ben so that he will fall in love with her and she can steal the fairy godmother's magic wand. Are you still with me? Okay. It is really good. So, after that, as Disney would have it, Mal falls in love with Ben. And she decides, I don't want Ben to be tricked into loving me. I want Ben to choose to love me. So there's a big difference. God created a loving world. And in a world where love is capable of meaningful expression... An experience would also imply a world in which there's choice. Because if someone tells you they love you, those words mean something because they were freely given. If you learned that someone told you that they loved you because they were forced to, or they were under a magic love potion, they wouldn't mean very much to you, would they? If you want to create a loving world, you must also create a world in which choice can be exercised. And in such a world, there is always the possibility of choosing a course of action that is not loving, but rather one that inflicts pain or sets suffering in motion. Love always involves a choice. So God gave us free will or a choice so we would choose to love him. Unfortunately, we often abuse that free will and it leads to evil and suffering in our world. God did not create the suffering. Suffering is a result of choice. Our choices, humanity's choices. Suffering is a part of a a chaotic and disordered world. Job's enemies alternate between earthly enemies, the foreign armies, and heavenly enemies, the lightning and the wind. We can't have a God who gave up controlling so we could choose to love him rather than be coerced. And at the same time, have a God who intervenes all the time to prevent evil or bad from happening. We don't get to have it both ways. But this still doesn't answer the question of why God appears to intervene sometimes and at other times remains silent. Why sometimes it feels like my prayers hit a ceiling and others' prayers go to the heavens. I agree with author Philip Yancey who wrote... I do not doubt that God answers prayers. Rather, I struggle with the inconsistency of those apparent answers. I do not doubt that God answers prayers. Rather, I struggle with the inconsistency of those apparent answers. Whenever I've thought of unanswered prayer, I always have thought of the same scenario. In a hospital room, two mothers are praying for their child. Both mothers love their baby. 
both mothers would do anything to make sure their child lived. There's no difference in the moms, the babies, or the sincerity of their prayers. Yet one baby lives, and another dies. And in the waiting room, the family and friends of the one baby shout praises and thanksgiving to God for answering in their prayers. And the other friends and families are shocked in grief, wondering what they did wrong. Why were their prayers answered when it appears ours were not? That is a moment when cliches don't work. That is a moment when we tend to flip on the artificial light with phrases like, God needed your baby more. Or God will never give you more than you can handle. The death of a baby? Imagine that's more than you can handle. The slow theft of a loved one's physical or mental health? It's more than you can handle. The destruction of all that you've known and loved, the bombing of your home, the death of family and friends, that certainly is more than you can handle if you have to handle it alone. If you have to handle it without God. I don't have any easy answers for the mom in that hospital room. All I can do is sit with her in the dark and remind her that we're not alone. That when we go to the depths of the darkness, we find God already waiting for us, steadfast in love and tender in mercy. There is a mystery surrounding prayer that we must respect even when we do not understand. Prayers don't work on some formula. Get your life together, do everything right, and then your petition will be granted. If that were so, Job would not have gone through any of the suffering. Throughout scripture, there are many laments and unanswered prayers. Prayers of honest anguish and frustration. Prayers of, as Walter Brueggemann describes, high-energy protest against the silence of God. Prayers that are in the modern terms of, Oh God, I sent you, I called you, and all I got was your voicemail. I sent you a text and you never responded. I sent you an email, I marked it urgent and important, and I didn't get a read receipt. Absence, silence. It is remarkable to us when we read about Israel's anger towards God that Israel never turned away from God but rather that thrust them into prayer and petition to God. You know, that rather than leaving God and being utterly confounded by his action or lack thereof, they go to him and they say so. Not even Jesus was exempt from unanswered prayer. In Gethsemane, Jesus prays both with the faith of protest and also with the faith of surrender. When we are suffering, or when we see suffering around us, we are tempted to stop trusting God. We look at God through the lens of suffering rather than looking suffering through the lens of God. And what I mean by that is that we are so overwhelmed by the pain that we stop trusting what we know to be true about God. And all we focus is on the circumstances. And then we let the circumstances change what we know to be true about the character of God. No one would have blamed Job for cursing God 
Yet verse 22 tells us that in all the pain and all the suffering and all the grief, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. Said he worshipped. Job did not forget through all the suffering what the true character was of his God. Even the Psalms, so profuse with laments and suffering and pain, almost always circles back repeatedly to God's faithfulness and goodness. The Apostle Peter reminds us in our New Testament reading today that we shouldn't jump to the conclusion that God isn't working and that he's off the job when life gets difficult. If we suffer because of our obedience to God, then we should be encouraged and count ourselves fortunate to join Christ in his sufferings. Peter is also quick to say that if you're suffering because you broke a law or you're a busybody and creating mischief, well, that's another story. But if you're suffering because of your faithfulness and your obedience to God, says do not let it overwhelm you. Do not give it a second thought. But rather take it in stride, trusting God that he's... He knows what he's doing, and he will do it. In the end, unanswered prayer brings us into the mystery that silenced Paul. The profound difference between our perspective and God's. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my or your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And we don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. From 1 Corinthians. No person, no matter how spiritual or how wise, can interpret the ways of God, explain one miracle and not another, Why an apparent intervention here and not there? Along with the Apostle Paul, we can only wait and trust. Trust God's goodness. Trust God's tender mercies. Trust God's steadfast love. The season of Lent reminds us that we have a Savior who is all too familiar with suffering. That Jesus himself appeared to feel abandoned and forsaken by God while he hung on the cross. We do not journey into darkness alone or without hope. We can pray to the one who has walked the path before us, to the one who sympathizes with us because he knows what we're experiencing and feeling. He understands that even though our intellect knows that God is good, that sometimes we feel like God has left us. I want to share this poem with you from Terry York. Why have you forsaken me, Jesus cried from Calvary? Psalm of faith and suffering, moaned for lack of songs to sing. When I face my Calvary, do not hide your face from me. Share the pain within my bones. Hear as prayer my silent moans. Private pain. A Job-like friend knows no end, never leaves me. God of love, is this your plan? Would you not this demon band? Yet, though dimly, still I see one who shares the pain with me. 
And then, though dark, this hope I claim, Jesus calls me by my name. When I was in my early 20s, there came a night where I could no longer live with being afraid of the dark. I was exhausted, and it had robbed me of so much peace and sleep. So I remember sitting up in bed that night, early morning, turning to the scripture, and I came across Psalm 4.8, which says, I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. What a great promise that I needed at that time. I wrote it on a little piece of paper that I still have 20 years later because of the rich beauty of that promise. It didn't say anything about the darkness never coming. It still comes. But the promise is, is that God will be with me throughout the darkness and throughout the silence. I want to leave you with a name and claim it truth that we can actually count on. Sometimes we suffer. Sometimes God is silent, but always God is good. We say it with me. Sometimes we suffer. Sometimes God is silent, but always God is good. One more time. Sometimes we suffer. Sometimes God is silent, but always God is good. Let's pray. Father, we want to be honest. We know you want us to be honest, too. Scripture teaches us, Jesus teaches us, that we can be honest with you about our struggles, about our fears, about our anger. That you're a God who's big enough to handle that. And so we come not squelching darkness, but sitting in it together knowing that you're with us. God, it's my prayer that during this season that we are learning to learn things in the dark that we could never learn in the light. That you will open up our hearts and our spirits and our minds to be taught by you, to find you good and faithful through all things. We thank you, God, that you understand. We thank you that Christ has shared in our sufferings and understands what we're going through. We're thankful for that kind of God. We pray, God, that you work in our lives and that you will build in each of us a trust that surpasses all things, a trust in your goodness, that we can lie down and sleep in peace for you alone make us safe. Amen.